It's good to be back. Yeah. In Rolling Meadows, just a, a short drive from here, stands Harvest Bible Chapel. You've probably driven by it. The church started with 18 people meeting in a high school, and it grew and grew and grew to over 13,000 people across seven campuses in our area. Harvest Bible soon made Outreach Magazine's list of the fastest growing churches in America and also the largest churches in America. And James McDonald, the pastor, became a a household name. His radio show was on well over a thousand stations. Three years ago, though, uh, McDonald was fired after recording surfaced in which he is heard plotting to blackmail the CEO of Christianity Today by planting child porn on his computer, which I guess he thought would ensure nicer press coverage. Uh, And a few months later, uh, McDonald's former bodyguard reported that McDonald had asked him to kill his former son-in-law. Now, once this sad and sickening tale has all come out, if you are a worshiper at Harvest, it is super easy to see, hey, our pastor is plotting blackmail and he's trying to arrange murder for hire. He's acting like a mob boss. He's got to go. But for years and years, this is my point, it was not so easy to see that. 13,000 people, to one degree or another, missed it. Oh, sure, yeah, I mean, there were occasional accusations of bullying or things like that, even a gambling problem, but those were on anonymous blogs or probably written by disgruntled former members, and so it wasn't always clear at the time. So here's my question for us tonight, friends. How do you and I, who are a part of this church or any church that we might be part of, recognize a bad church leader sooner? How do we sniff out early on that this powerful speaker, this warm pastor, whatever, is actually a huge danger to us and to the church? It would be easy, I suppose, for some of us at this point to kind of say, since many of us grew up in non-denominational churches, to think, well, See, that's one of the problems with large evangelical churches. They depend on these larger-than-life leaders, and there's no uh, maybe strong denominational structures to hold them accountable, and so that's why I've become Anglican. Uh Yeah, (laughs) insert the laugh track. No, I, I actually say this with great solemnity and grief in my heart. But have we taken in the fact that just in the past two years, and just among Anglican churches, just in Chicagoland, we have had one former lay leader now standing trial on charges of child sexual molestation. We had a rector who was inhibited from priestly ministry for the rest of his life over allegations of inappropriately close relationships with female uh, younger members in the church, uh, college students. There was another rector who was forced to resign after uh, 
an outside investigation revealed, and I'm quoting from the report, alcohol abuse, sexual harassment, and abuse of power. And this one cuts actually very close to home for me because that church was in our own diocese, C4SO, and I knew that rector, and when he was invited to become the Midwest dean for C4SO, I encouraged him to do it. So if there's anyone who can say, I surely can, it's not always so easy to see it early on. After it's all come out, of course, it's a cinch. So once again, my question, how do you and I recognize before it gets too late? The leader who's going bad or is bad, the person who is a true danger to themselves, to others, and to the church. Well, you and I have to know this, friends. I used to see these kind of situations as aberrations, one-offs, a rogue leader who went bad. I don't see that that way anymore. I see this as a chronic and recurring issue for all organizations, but certainly for churches. People like these were in the early Christian churches. They're in the churches today. And if Jesus delays his glorious return for another 100 years, they'll probably be in the churches 100 years from now. So tonight, with God being my helper, I want to try to lay out just as clearly as I can what you and I should be watching out for in any leader here at Savior or any future church that you might be a part of. And then we'll talk honestly about what we should do if we see some of these early warning signs. But churches absolutely must have a security system. And I cannot think of a better place in the Bible to help us install one than this short letter called Jude. Jude is often ignored, but that's like turning off the security system. All right, let's look at it together. Verse 1. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. All right, so who exactly is this Jude? Well, Jude is Jesus' youngest brother. So Jesus actually had four half-brothers, meaning they shared the same mother, Mary. But these other brothers uh, had Joseph as their biological dad. And, and so uh, they were half-brothers. The oldest was James, who wrote the book in the Bible called James. And then the youngest brother is Jude, and he wrote this one. You might remember that at one point all the brothers didn't believe in Jesus. They made fun of him. Um, but you know what? Jesus has a way of uh, reaching people and changing their opinions. And Jude has come around to the point now where he can say, of his brother, so siblings, we know what this is like. I'm his slave. I'm happy to be Jesus' slave. Well, Jude sits down to write a letter to a group of house churches, but as he's doing that, his plans get changed. Verse 3. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. I really wanted to talk about that. That would have been awesome. But now I find I must write about something else urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. Jude's saying, stop the presses. I'm not going to write about what I was going to write about because there's something even more important right now, churches. 
I have to warn you. What is he warning them? Verse 4, some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago for they have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's stop right there. How is it that ungodly people worm their way into a church? I wonder that. Jude doesn't say, but here's my guess. I'm guessing they play on our good qualities. Like, for example, hospitality. Jesus said, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. So there is this internal wiring of a healthy church to be very welcoming, to treat each new person as though they're Jesus, right? And we try to do the same here. And then, though, let's say that this bad actor, after playing on our hospitality, will move on and play on our desire to grow spiritually. Get this. The late, great A.W. Tozier pointed out that the danger of this kind of thing is actually greater for those of us who are, would consider ourselves fervent Christians than for the lukewarm or name-only kind of believer. And here's why. Quote, The seeker after God's best things longs for some new experience, some elevated view of truth, some operation of the spirit that will raise him above the the dead level of religious mediocrity that he sees all around him. And for this reason, he's ready to give a sympathetic ear to the new and the wonderful in religion, particularly if it's presented by somebody with an attractive personality and a reputation for superior godliness. So it can start out with welcome, which was healthy and good, right? And then it can move to, I'm so interested, tell me more, which again, came out of a good impulse to keep growing. But if we're not careful, and it's a bad actor, that person may then pretty soon get us into thinking, wow, God's grace is so big, I don't really have to go through the pain and awkwardness of trying to live a moral life. This is awesome. And Jude says, no, no, no. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. Jesus never lived like that. He never taught that. And in the rest of the letter, he lays out these these warning signs, which you and I so desperately need. And I've tried to summarize all his warnings in this letter in, in five, five such signs. Okay, warning sign number one, immoral. The dangerous leader feels, really, I'm an exception. Why? Well, because I give out so much. Because I'm so gifted and this church just really depends on me. Because God is using me so much. No, this is, this is real, friends. This is toxic. Or I live at a higher spiritual level. So I don't have to live like everybody else. This was a lot of the thinking that poisoned Ravi Zacharias. Listen to Jude's phrases, and these are all direct quotes. They say that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. They do whatever their instincts tell them. They do shameful deeds. All the ungodly things they have done. They are living only to satisfy their desires. Their purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. And they follow their natural instincts. 
Wow. Now, God's grace truly is amazing. But we must defend the real grace of God, which always leads us into a Jesus-like life from the fake grace, which, which says immorality is okay and you deserve it. So warning sign number one, you will pick up in this leader kind of a carelessness about holiness. You'll, you'll sense an openness to things they really shouldn't be open to. They push the edge. Maybe they drink more than they should or they joke about things they shouldn't. But there isn't this deep centeredness toward holiness. There's an immoral quality there. All right, warning sign number two, rebellious. They have a rebellious streak. Listen to Jude's descriptions. Quote, they defy authority and, quote, like Korah, who in the Old Testament rebels against Moses, they perish in their rebellion and, quote, they are grumblers and complainers. And this is intriguing. They claim authority from their dreams. Now, surprisingly, this actually happens a lot. And not just in churches that are more, perhaps we might say, charismatic or open to the, the divine message through dreams. But in, in a very, uh, what happens is that the leader assumes, I deserve a lot of power here. I deserve a lot of authority. Why? Because of my special spiritual gifts. And depending on that church tradition, it might be gifts in preaching. It might be gifts in prophetic words of knowledge. It, it might be in music. It might be special experiences the person has had, visions, dreams, whatever. Well, listen, the Apostle Paul had a real vision of heaven, authentic. And you know what? He never talked about it for years. The only reason we know anything about it is he was forced to do so when he was being rebelled against by leaders like this. And so he finally, to shut him down, had to say, look, I've had that kind of vision too. And you know what? That's not what my authority is based on. You want to know what my authority is based on as an apostle, Paul says? You, the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. So don't give any extra credit to the person who's like, hey, I saw an angel, or they wrote a book, or they had a spiritual vision. If they did, great, fine. Don't give them any more authority for that. All right. Now, the healthy leader does not just accept I have authority over me. They want it. They desire it. They want to work under it. Even when that authority tells them to slow down or stop. But have we not all seen leaders who talk up here about how they're all under the bishop or they're under the elders and what's really happening is they're running roughshod over the elders and they're ignoring the bishop. And as soon as they're asked to slow down or stop, what do you notice? They bristle. They find a reason why that doesn't apply to them. And they paint the people who are asking them to slow down or stop as obstructionists, people who don't get a clue, people who are against evangelism, people who are against what the Lord's doing in this church. Listen, whenever you see board members resigning in frustration, 
When you see staff having short tenures, you're almost always going to find behind that a leader who is headstrong and rebellious and has to have it their way. So Jude's saying, watch out for these people. Warning sign number one, immoral. Warning sign number two, rebellious. Warning sign number three, arrogant. Jude just lays them out. He says these people, quote, scoff at supernatural beings, scoff at things they do not understand, and are scoffers. Three times he uses the word scoff. To warn us, don't trust a person who's a scoffer, who thinks they're above it all. Now, most likely what was going on with these leaders in Jude's churches was they were saying, we don't got to worry about no devil or his fallen angels because we know exactly how to deal with them. We know how to call them down and call them out. And there was a swagger. While the real apostle, Paul, he believed in demons too, but he had such a a more humble and God-centered approach. He says, put on all of God's armor, which by the way means faith, righteousness, so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. When you sniff that a leader is arrogant, just watch out. Jude says they brag loudly about themselves. Now, here's the, here's the little trick, though. Most leaders who are like this are way too smart to do the obvious brag fest. So what they're going to do, usually, is the humble brag where in the sermon illustration, they're the fall guy, but only so that we will give them credit for being so authentic, honest, and humble. You know what the real story is? Do they have any intention of changing what that kind of quality in their life? And most of the time, they have none. They just want you to notice them for how humble they really are. It's a humble brag. Warning sign number four, divisive. Pretty soon, with a dangerous leader, you've got this going on. You've got the clear in-group of the people who are their loyal followers, and loyalty is prized, and then there are the people who don't just get it and really should be avoided. Jude says flat out, these are the people, these people are the ones who are creating the divisions among you. And where there should be brotherly love in the church, they, quote, follow in the footsteps of Cain who killed his brother. What, it, what happens here with people like this is they murder the character of anybody who's not on their loyalty train. Well, that person's kind of half crazy or that person's not really that Christian or whatever, whatever. All right. And finally, warning sign number five, money is somehow flowing to them. Jude warns, like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And and he adds, they flatter others to get what they want. Listen, follow the money trail, and in the dangerous leader, you will find special expenses that are justified because of the needs of this amazing ministry. You will find ministry funds they have access to without a whole lot of accountability. You will find reasons why they have to travel first class. You will find out reasons, of course, why they need a nicer home to retreat to. In 2012, McDonald was reported to have been earning somewhere over 500 grand a year, and he had living in an estate of 1.9 million. 
Meanwhile, Paul says to his churches, I did not become a financial burden to anyone. I've never been a burden to you and I never will. Now you know why Jude says so strongly, we've got to defend our faith against people like this. If left unchecked, they will lead us away from Jesus. They will divide a church. They will disgrace our witness as believers in the community. But now let's, let's all inhale and, and, and let's be honest. To defend the faith against people like this is often hard and thankless work. When you name the problem, you often become the problem. Every whistleblower I have known has suffered for doing the right thing. So it is very tempting instead to do, and I see this a lot, where people just go, oh, enough of this noise, there's so many bad leaders, I'm just going to exit the church. I get that, but we cannot let all gymnastics tournaments stop because of people like Larry Nassar. We can't let Hollywood shut down just because of Harvey Weinstein. We can't let all college football grind to a halt because of Jerry Sandusky. We've got something special and beautiful, the church. We cannot leave her unprotected against people like this. And I urge all of us to make that same commitment. Well, how do we, how do, we do that? Well, when we see one or more of these kind of signs that I've just mentioned, let's do like they tell us at the airport. If you see something, say something. Here at Savior, if it's a leader, talk to the pastor over that area of ministry. If it's somebody on staff, talk with Karen or me. If it's me or Karen, we have a diocesan ombudsman, Kimberly Filer, who is independent of our system, and is there just for purposes of like, like this. You can find her on the C4SO site. You can find her on our own church website. And you can always talk with our bishop, uh, Todd Hunter. You can report confidentially. But if you see something, you got to say something. Now, Savior truly has been blessed to have been started by leaders who have lived well, loved well, finished well. Bless the Lord. Bill and Linda, Doug and Marilyn, and many lay leaders who are still here and still serving. There have been no scandals. We've been blessed. No fallout, no bodies in the wake, no unnecessary and foolish divisions. And I tell you what, at this stage in my life in ministry, Karen and I have our number one goal, finish as well as they did. Just finish it as well. Break the tape. And with God's help, we will do that. But, I tell you here and now, and I mean this soberly, if I ever go cray-cray and start acting like any of this, <laughs> call me out on it. You've got to protect Savior. It is, your, it is your bounden duty and responsibility, and I say that in the word of God under Jude's direction here. All right, well, let me finish this message the way Jude finishes his letter. After so strongly warning us, and he takes no prisoners, he doesn't end there. He lifts up our eyes. And he encourages us in God. He's like, you know what? God is strong. God is with us. And so he ends with this beautiful doxology, this prayer of praise. And I'm going to pray it tonight and may it encourage all of us. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you and us from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him 
who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen.